What's up, everyone? This is the Nuts and Bolts podcast, and I'm your host, the one James, here with our amazing, beautiful co-hosts, Airball. Hey, everyone. And MTG Nerd Girl. Hey, guys. Good to see you. Brand new in the house for the first time. I'm excited to have her here to talk about this. We're here to give you the nuts and bolts of the standard and pioneer formats each and every week for your listening pleasure. And maybe you learn a thing or two along the way. We'll probably learn something, too, because, you know, that's how it goes around here. But first... Let me talk to you about the sponsor of this podcast, CoolStuffInc.com. Using code JAMES5, you can save 5% off of anything in the store, sealed products, singles, anything you could ever need in Magic the Gathering or any other card game for that matter. Uh, they have it all. Uh, go save yourself some hard-earned money. Go to CoolStuffInc.com. But first, let's start with the upkeep. It's going to be the jargon of the day. We're going to talk about something that's relevant to today's podcast episode, your first competitive REL event. And we, we have MPG Nerd Girl here as special occasioned because you know she's been through the process been there done that when it comes to competitive rel tournaments right in a few just a few okay yeah just a couple if you, if you, if you had to if you had to give me a ballpark of amount of the amount of them oh competitive <laughs> rel events oh i don't know couple hundred out of the ballpark <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know a couple hundred. like if, if you're including like pt like PTQs and stuff like that, definitely a couple hundred, plus all the GPs I've been to. Um, yeah, there's there's been a lot for sure. I guess like RPTQs and PPTQs also count as competitive REL events too. Yeah. I don't know, it might be in the few hundreds. I, I think you might beat me and uh, Airball combined. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I play mostly limited, so I don't do a ton of like the grinder circuit. I don't do like the Star City events, but I go to basically every limited Grand Prix. I used to go to every standard Grand Prix and every um, PTQ or um, anything like that that was in, I don't know, like a three state radius that was limited for sure. A lot of driving, three state radius. I mean, I guess I live in Florida, which is a pretty big state. But in order for me to get to, you know, Atlanta or a different state, it would be like a seven hour drive. Or, you know, oh, somewhere it's like hours, a lot of hours. I was from San Diego, so I would drive all the way up to San Francisco, oh. which was very far. Wow. Well, what's the far airball? What's the farthest you've driven to an event? Ooh. Farthest I've driven to an event? Probably, I don't know, three hours. Oh, that's, that's baby work. I know. <laughs> I'm a baby. I'm just a baby. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, it, it's a, there's no like, you know, barometer on like how long you've been in competitive tournaments. There's still like certain things you have to do, right? In order to, you know, we're going to get into that. Certain things you have to do beforehand, during, and after. But we're going to start with the upkeep, which is the attrition jargon today. Attrition is playing for a long game in which you win through incremental advantages and value rather than just playing a high mana value card to win the game. And attrition could mean a big tournament too. A lot of the times when you're in a 12 round tournament, it's kind of like a war of attrition with your with your brain, with your mindset. Like even like sometimes even more than the actual cards you're playing. Yeah, that's definitely true. Especially like Grand Prix, they usually fire like a day late. Or, I'm sorry, an hour or two late, and then the rounds take you know 30 minutes over time. They are nine rounds for for a day, so you end up actively playing or waiting for your round for 10, 11 hours sometimes. Yeah, that's a long time, especially if if uh, there's two control decks playing against each other, right? Well, I guess Airball would never know this, but um, some control decks playing against each other, and it goes into time, and there's five turns in time, but, you know, jokes on everybody else, each turn is like 10 minutes long. Wait, you're telling me that the round timer is a maximum, not a minimum? <laughs> no, no, it's a minimum. I'm, uh, you know, yeah, That's what I thought, yeah, okay. No, it's a maximum. No, there is no maximum. You just you just see the time go to zero, and you're like, "Oh, that's fine. We have five more turns." Yeah, that's how it works for me. <laughs> I actually I actually made a made a TikTok. Well, I think it was like yesterday. That was like, um, why like why win the game when you can just draw cards? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll that but unironically. <laughs> no, yeah, but actually, but um, that is the uh, jargon of the day today. Uh, and, you know, not, not necessarily only in tournaments. Uh, when you're playing an attrition game, you know, more, more of these decks have, like, a lot of resource, um, a resource advantage, a lot of bringing back cards from Graveyard, maybe, a lot of picking your spots with two-for-ones or one-for-one removal. Um, a lot of the games go super long. Um, I, I guess you, you're more, a little bit more qualified. I guess both of you are to talk to us about attrition because when you're playing in draft and limited, maybe even sealed, 
some I've seen some board states <laughs> on the other side of the battlefield, and, and, and there's a lot of different interactions where you have to kind of make the most out of what cards you have. Like I've seen a lot of like you know kicker interactions where you wouldn't even play it where you would normally play it, like a turn two card. You would just like wait a lot of turns later to where you can get a lot of value out of out of like say a kicker or whatever other you know mechanic is on the card. Can you talk nerd girl a little bit about like attrition in an actual magic game? Like maybe maybe in limited. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are certainly kicker cards in our current uh, DMU limited format, and a lot of them do some pretty cool stuff. And one card that kind of comes to mind is the uh, Phyrexian Missionary. She's a, a well above rate two drop. She's very good even without the kicker. So you can cast her early for a nice onboard early card, uh, early board present advantage. Uh, or you can save her, cast her for two extra mana to kick her, and you actually get a creature back from your graveyard back to your hand, which actually is a really powerful uh, ability attached to a creature. So it just kind of depends. I find more often than not, it's worth waiting. Yeah, um, I know you're more of a, um, like, not a limited player airball, more of a, a constructed player. Can you give me an example of just, like, a, an interaction where you would go the, the attrition route based on, I guess, over playing, like, a, a tempo play? Um always i feel every like, time uh, like attrition is always about just grinding out um incremental value rather than trying to end the game relatively quickly i play decks that thrive on that i don't play the aggro decks that would try to avoid that from happening yeah i always i always tell people that the the mono red uh, source of card advantage is your opponent still having cards in their hand when you win the game yeah you <laughs> kill them and it's like a discard seven <laughs> exactly but let's go ahead and get into the main phase your first competitive REL tournament. And for those of you that don't know what REL means, it's rules enforcement levels. And there's there's different levels of this, but I'm um, just a, a competitive REL tournament, meaning a RPTQ, regional, regional Pro Tour qualifier, PPTQ, uh, like a, uh, you know, last chance qualifiers, and, and even your actual regional championship qualifier Pro Tour, Pro Tour type events are competitive REL tournaments. And we're going to talk about the days before the tournament, the day of the tournament, some gameplay that goes along there in between your rounds and afterwards so that you can come out of this podcast episode really prepared and know what to do when it comes to um, being in the tournament experience if it's your first time. There's Magic 30 that's coming up. Um, there is also um, there is also some uh, MTG Summit coming up, and there's going to be competitive REL tournaments there. So... If you're going to those those events, then you will hopefully come out of this podcast episode with a really good idea of what to expect. Um, the days before the tournament, um, you acquire the cards that you think you'll need for the event. Um, and sometimes, in my experience, you might not want to wait until the day of the tournament to get your cards because a lot of the times, I, I come from like a Yu-Gi-Oh competitive background, and they hike up the cards prices at the event because they know you need them. So they could definitely be a little bit hard to find last minute, right? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. They do hike up the prices a little bit sometimes. I don't find that to be the case too much in Magic. I think the biggest concern with waiting to the last minute is a lot of the vendors, because they travel to the event, either usually plain, uh, they don't bring a lot of the uncommon staples, a lot of the dollar dollar fifty cards they just don't have. So a lot of the sideboard tech that you're gonna need is oftentimes gonna be really not just expensive, just outright not available. Yeah, I remember when I was at CFB Vegas trying to put together an is it constructed deck and I needed a playset of a braid. Like I was going around to limited players begging for a braid <laughs> out of their limited decks because no vendors had any copies to give me. It's actually crazy. I have I have an abraid literally in front of me uncommon <laughs> right they're, they're everywhere <laughs> except in my deck they're just not worth enough for a vendor to bring yeah like if you, you can put yourself in the vendor's shoes right like you're gonna bring just like a lot of staple commons and uncommons you want you you won't be able to bring all the cards with you you know um and realistically they're gonna make what you know 25 cents off the card like maybe not worth worth bringing the the little common cards like even even like a you know i mean they're gonna have like like common and uncommon cards like fatal push ones that are very popular and needed for certain events but a card like the like a braid you're gonna have to ask around <laughs> yeah um i one time i was cracking a bunch of packs for an uncommon because i needed it it was like i think it was like when simic flash was a thing and there was like uh, just it wasn't the the three two counter spell but there was like some idiot lizard that was in the simic colors i just needed to crack like half a box to try to find one it was absurd 
there was a lizard that wasn't the frilled mystic? Huh. No. You sure it wasn't frilled mystic? I'm sure. <laughs> I think it was actually like a couple of standards before that. It's kind of an older story. Okay. I see. <laughs> Um, this is before your time. You guys are babies. I, I, I'm not too much of a baby. I started playing. You talked about Yu-Gi-Oh. I did talk about Yu-Gi-Oh. Wait, does that inherently make me a baby? Yes. Oh. <laughs> okay. Not in like the young sense, just in the child sense. Oh, 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 there's a difference. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. No, I, I do mean, know you can count to 10,000, though, which is impressive. I can count to 10,000. <laughs> and in Magic Players only can count to 20 or... Actually, you know what? I don't even know if Airball can count from 20 to 0. Because a lot of the times your opponent just scoops with all of their life still remaining. Yeah. He doesn't need to count. He just bores them to death. Yeah, life yeah. totals are irrelevant. You, you, can't, you count your opponent's brain cells, cells still remaining. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like it's, milling it's, out their brain. <laughs> he right. mills out their will to live. Uh, right. you, no, wait. You can count how many wrinkles are on your brain. That's, that's a different story. Anyways, um, there's also another aspect of, you know, being in a competitive RAL tournament that can be really detrimental if you are not closely aware of what's going on. There's random deck checks, and you should probably probably have brand new sleeves, or at least sleeves you've only used for like one or two tournaments on your cards, or your cards in them, because even like a ding on the side that might be for an important card that you're not even aware of um, could get you a game loss if you ha happen to have something wrong with your sleeves, or happen to have a, a bend or a crease in a certain way on your sleeves that you're not even aware of. Maybe it's small and you get a deck check and you end up getting a whole game loss. Um, sometimes the judges are, are nice and they let you switch out the car, switch out the sleeve right away. But sometimes you have to take the game loss, get the, get the new sleeve. And it's just a, a different, uh, just a, a process that you don't really need to put yourself uh, in. You don't need to put yourself in that situation, right? Yeah. I mean, good car, good quality sleeves is really, really important. That helps a lot. And if money is also an issue, one of the things I like to do, now this is only relevant for those of you guys who play both limited and constructed, but I, every time I play a constructed tournament, fresh set of sleeves. And then what I do is I downgrade those sleeves to my draft box. And I always keep, uh, you know, 10 of every land sleeved up and the excess sleeves go to my drafts and my seals. And I just keep using that. And I play a lot more sealed than I do constructed. So by the time I play constructed again, I'm ready for a, a new draft set, sleeve up the new ones put the old ones onto the next draft set again. That's a lot of unsleeving to resleeve, Right? I mean, if you're sleeving up a new deck every time anyway, why chuck the <clears throat> sleeves away? Yeah, Use yeah, them for some true. drafts. You can go, actually, actually, now that I think about it, limited players can go through, like, paper limited players can go through a lot of packs of sleeves if you're not doing that. Yeah, I, I keep a little box with me. I get, like, 100 count, like I said, and I sleeve them all up, and I probably keep a pack of a hundred sleeves because you kind of use you don't use the same set of 40 every time that kind of rotates i'll mm. keep them for like 20 drafts which is a solid number and you can you can go through 20 drafts without having like you know um a noticeable mark on a card that you're not aware of yeah i mean drafts are a lot like you know i wouldn't do this for day two of a grand prix draft but drafts at your local card store yeah they start to get scuffed they start to like some maybe one will rip but it's a good thing you have a hundred and they don't pay that much attention to those you just kind of shuffle up and whatever half the players don't even use sleeves at your local card store for draft anyway yeah i'm just like Jesus. super paranoid when i'm in, in competitive rel events and i just i have to get a new pack of sleeves i, I don't know if it's just me maybe, maybe other people think the same way as i do because i have this thought maybe i'm the only one but I'm just so paranoid of getting a game loss and having a random a random deck check just lose me a match, so I just always have fresh leaves. But um, the next the next thing we have here is that you should probably, if you don't have a lot of experience playing in a competitive event, maybe you're only playing at your local game store, you should get used to man, uh, manipulating your board and goldfish with yourself. What goldfish means is start playing with your with your deck by yourself to get used to your card interactions and things like that, because you also don't want to get caught with your opponent thinking that you did something or didn't do something that you did or did not mean to do. And then you can get a judge called on you. Um, to, your opponent can think that you might be um, doing something malicious or cheating. So you just, you just want to be able to be uh, completely used to how your deck's supposed to work before you get to the tournament. I mean, I've had friends, especially when I played back in Yu-Gi-Oh, that would start out in the big tournament playing a deck for the first time. That's scary to me, but they'll do that and they can kind of mess up here and there. You want to you want to be actually 100% used to your deck and know how your own interactions work. Uh, and you don't want it to be in that fuzzy 
thing where opponents are calling judges on you and stuff. Got it. Play with yourself the day before the event. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's what I was thinking. Relieve, relieves the stress and the tension. I think it does, yes. Helps you focus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah this is totally, totally serious. Do that. Yeah, yeah. Do what they said. <laughs> so I think another side note for this topic is not just that it helps you understand your deck and how it works. Another thing that you should be doing, even if you know how your deck works, even if you know it inside and out, a lot of you guys are arena babies, and I know Airball, this is definitely something that you struggle with. You could play a deck perfectly on arena, and then when you start to play uh, in paper, you'll sort of fumble around and it takes a little bit because a lot of players aren't super used to actual physical cards. So needing to tap your mana and making sure that you tap correctly because your mana isn't displayed nice and neatly on your arena screen like it is in your table. Um, the same thing goes for like missing triggers, where you should place things because Arena isn't going to take care of those missed triggers for you. Um, you know, it's not going to ask you like, do you want to do a thing? So putting your stuff next to or near your deck uh, so that way you can see them before you draw your cards can be very important. So getting a feel for the deck, even if you know how to play it, is uh, is very important. I think. Yeah, I didn't know we were calling other people out here, but yeah, I totally agree with you, Nerdo. I've seen I've seen Airball really fumble. Well, he's a great, great magic player, but he started in arena. So I've seen him have some trouble with uh, board state management. And I think that's a thing that happens to a lot of newer players. Yeah, my strategy for dealing with that has just been to make sure there's no board state at all. That's what Supreme Verdict is for. <laughs> no, I, I think I played against you in, in a competitive tournament. Remember that? And you, you, uh, you tapped, you, you had your lands over your, uh, on top of your creatures and stuff. You played Wandering Emperor like under your lands. He, he I? played. I saw he played one of the extra life, uh, extra turn spells, and he had it off to the left in what would have been the opposite side of the graveyard. And I was like, "Is that on the stack? Is that?" And he's like, "Oh, he played that last turn." And I was like, what? "Why is it over there? Where is that?" I'm so confused. <laughs> it's just permanent. It's just perpetually on the stack. You, you sound like my mom. Like when I was a kid, she's like, "How do you find anything in here?" I'm like, "I know exactly where everything is. It's when you it's when you clean it up for me that I don't know where to look." <laughs> wait am i your mom or are james and i collectively your mom i, I think it's like the royal mom like you're collectively the mom. that's like oh, the matriarchy that's right. what you would call it right <laughs> that's funny just don't just don't when you put your lands down don't put them like upside down just want to let you know for next time airball um, oh, I, I think that means the land is in distress or something, right? <laughs> no, you just put your opponent's lands upside down so they can't actually use them to cast their mm -hmm. spells. Uh, or you just counter them. Uh, anyways, next, next we're going to talk about knowing how you'll get to the venue. The last thing you want is to finally get there and you realize it already started. And then you'll get a round one loss automatically if you get there late. So definitely plan ahead. Know how you're going to get there. Like whether you have to go to another city, you know, find out before you even book the hotel or wherever you're staying, Airbnb, staying with your friends, whatever it is, how far it is from the venue, if you're going to have to get a rental car or if you're doing Uber or your Lyft or whatever to get to the venue, know exactly how what time it is and give yourself like an hour. I always give myself like an hour breathing room because you just, you just want to get there early enough to where you're not there late. I don't know if do you have any experiences being like late to an event on accident or something. Uh, so I actually made day two of a Grand Prix, and then I didn't go to day two. That happened a couple of times, but mostly on purpose. One time <laughs> I did it on accident because I was not very far from the venue, and I went to walk uh, in the morning into day two. And I noticed at night that I was having a little bit of, like, pain in my foot. And so I started walking, and I couldn't walk the rest of the way. So. Whoa. And it was for some reason too early or no active Ubers or something. And I couldn't get a ride. And yeah, I just ended up missing the entire day too and limped back to my hotel. It was not pleasant. Wow. How long ago was that? Um, it was a while ago. And the funny thing is I actually had a sponsor who then messaged me because uh, I was wearing like their jerseys and stuff. And uh, they messaged me and accused me of like partying all night. And like, that's why <laughs> oh I didn't God, make it really? to day two. And I was like, I'm... <laughs> Played until like ten o'clock at night, and then I went to sleep. <laughs> like trust old. It's the, it's the old trust me. I'm responsible. Um, I think what had happened is I was just walking around the hall, and I'm like, you know, out of shape, and I never leave my computer, so I, I just fucked up my foot, man. <laughs> Wait, magic players leave their computer? 
Actually, <laughs> <laughs> you don't. Do you have an experience, Airball, of like getting somewhere late or like missing a round one, having round one loss or something? No, I am pathologically afraid of being late to anything. I oh, do remember. Yeah. Okay, you're a blue light oh, control if, player. If you want like a childhood Airball story, like my my whatever the anti-villain origin story is, I remember like being the goalie for my soccer team when I was in school, and my parents were like chronically late for things and one day one day they got me to a game but like half an hour late my coach is just there looking daggers at me like it's my fault like it was my fault like we didn't leave early like i could drive myself and i, I you know i think that has stuck with me <laughs> uh, up until now so i i am almost never late for anything now i was in a a pokemon tournament just, I, I played a lot of games i went from Yu-Gi-Oh to pokemon back to Yu-Gi-Oh to magic back to Yu-Gi-Oh back to magic but for like i don't know like a year or two year and a half I was a competitive Pokemon player. And I remember I went to Internationals, biggest tournament of the year, it was in like Columbus, Ohio or something. And I get to round one, and right before round one, I, you look at your phone and it tells you what table. And it shows that I'm on table 50. So I'm like, cool, you know, I go to table 50, I'm there early. And like 20 minutes through me actually playing my match against my opponent, I'm approached by one of the judges that says that I'm at the wrong table 50. Apparently, there's two different sides of the venue that have both have table 50s. And huh. Were you I on was... like 50 Boulevard and you were supposed to be at 50 Street? Yeah, something like that, exactly. It was like 50 Blue when I was supposed to be at 50 Red, but I, I didn't know that there was a, it was color-coordinated. They probably should have had like 1 to 50 and then 51 to 100 instead of 1 to 50 and then 1 to 50 again. Um, anyways... Regardless, I got transported to my correct table and started playing against that person. I ended up losing because I got the game loss. So, moral of the story: know how you're going to get there. Give yourself ample time to get to the to get to your seat, get to the venue, get your deck set up, and be comfortable. Um, research other decks and plan a sideboard against them. That's one thing that I see a lot out of out of my uh, regional championship qualifiers. People bring sheets of paper all folded up, and I I swear it's like in calligraphy and stuff, and laminated all of their sideboard plans against other decks. And I guess it does are just Phyrexian cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all Phyrexian cards. I don't know. I don't know how much it happens in limited. Like maybe there's, I know there's different archetypes that you can draft in limited and you want to be able to have a game plan against like the other colors. But uh, how do you research and plan and plan against other limited decks if you're in like a limited tournament? Play. You have to practice, um, get your get some hands-on experience or watch content creators and see their drafts. Um, and people are getting spoiled now with best of one on Arena, so we don't really sideboard anymore. So people are going to be very out of practice. But yeah, there's no sideboard guides. I don't know, Airball. I, I know. Have you made a Have you made us like a paper sideboard guide, like printed? Maybe not laminated, but have you made one before? You know, I haven't. <clears throat> um... I've, I've built sideboard guides ahead of time, but I've never actually brought them into a match. Um, I didn't even know it was legal until earlier today, honestly. Yeah, there's people just in between sideboarding, just rip, rip, like unfold their 20 folds of their paper, like <laughs> ruffling it around and looking at it and doing their sideboard just off the piece of paper. Um, I, I, I did that only one time in my entire life, made a, made a sideboard guide on a piece of paper, and I ended up making third place in the entire, like, 2,000-person tournament. So I'm at, I mean, one-person sample size, one time, I get it works. You can do that, you can bring it to tournaments, but even if you don't actually physically bring it to the tournament, just, like, know what your plan is against other decks. Uh, research, do your, do your, you know, your due diligence ahead of time. Um, you can print an offer, you cannot. Um, we already talked about this a little bit before, but you can set up a card pool with somebody. Um, make sure you get there on time before the you know the tournament starts. But set up a card pool with somebody. Um, make it make it make it a good time, and try not to stretch yourself out too much. Uh, I mean, have you have any times where you're just like super anxious before a tournament? Constantly, <laughs> like I'm never not anxious before a tournament. Even like an F and M will get me a little anxious, honestly. Um, usually not. Um, except for, like, the Mythic Invitational. That was pretty nerve-wracking. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're with your friends and you're and you're together all, and you're maybe at an Airbnb or hotel with them instead of just going by yourself, it, at least for me, has alleviated a lot of the stress for from starting the tournament. Because, you know, you're all, you're all talking together, round one goes up and you're ready to start, and you all say good luck to each other. It's just a good vibe. Um, 
and that and that goes goes into the, what we're going to talk about the next is the day of the tournament and you know bring a friend it's going to be a long day show up early register pack water pack snacks um michael which isn't here on the podcast today but he'll usually stock uh, like a cooler with full of like red bulls waters gatorades you know he'll, he'll put maybe some coconut water in there but uh, I don't. I don't personally pack a lunchbox or anything. I just go with my friends to like a McDonald's or something. If there's, we're in the middle of a round or we finish early. How, how do you do your your food routine? Uh, I'll start with Nergo and then go to Airball after. Um, I like to make sure I bring waters because I don't want to spend five dollars plus on a bottle of water at the convention. So what ends up happening is I just don't drink, and then I get really dehydrated. And then by the time I get home on Monday, my like lips are all chapped and I feel miserable. <laughs> um. And I do, I do tend to try to bring a snack. So it's like uh, two bottles of water and a giant crumble cookie or a cliff bar or something like that. So not a whole lunch, but I do like to make sure that I have access to stay hydrated and some emergency food if my stomach's growling in between rounds and I don't have enough time to go get something like a McDonald's like you. Usually my friends, which whoever scrubs out of like the midday round um, or like gets their butt whooped or kicks somebody's butt very quickly, that person will go on a quick food run and grab something that's close. See, that's what I meant. I, I would just lose super fast. And you know, like, you know, there's a KFC across the street. Yeah. And, and just do, a, do a, a food run for everybody. I've been in both situations. I've been the person that gets all the food because I won very quickly and also because I lost mm -hmm. very quickly. And also I've just been the recipient of someone else happening and just bringing the food to us. It's always a good time. Yeah, it if you have a decent enough group, like four or five people, usually someone like one, three drops, and then that person can just like kind of be the food go-getter, which selfishly, I very much appreciate. So so we have to bring Airball with us. No oh, joke, no. that has happened before. <laughs> uh, yeah, like... I think for, during Vegas, I was like, uh, during the last Vegas, uh, I was like, Airball, please, coffee for the love of God. Yeah, but we all scrubbed out relative to you. You day two'd that event. Everyone else was just like, well, shit, what do we do? Yeah, and the, the D-Gen event was that night, which I stayed out and hung out with everybody at Top Golf, and then went and played day two. That's the one I was at, right? The one where you made day two yeah. and you had a pretty deep run? Mm-hmm. How, how, how were your lips? Were they chapped afterwards, or did you do a good job no, hydrating? Were, yeah, I, I, kept, I learned. Um, I've been playing competitive magic for a while. I've started the water bottle thing a long time ago. Actually, now that I remember, they had a, a, a stand that would basically only had pretzels and drinks and no other food. I think like almost mm -hmm. right next to that. And um, mm -hmm. I, I drank too many monsters that day. But <clears throat> I also, oh my gosh, really, really dumb story. I was going to enter the main event that was modern with my awesome Niv Miseryborn deck. And I signed up for the tournament. It said modern and everything on my phone. Clicked sign up, paid for it and everything. And then I get to the tournament. Oh, please don't do this if you're listening to this. Um, I get to the tournament and I look at the big list just to make sure my name's on there, which you should probably do right before the tournament starts. Make sure your name's on the list of players to play. And I, I realized that my name wasn't on the list. And I was like, oh, that's fine. People make mistakes. I'm just going to go to the front and get it figured out. They're, I'm going to be able to play, right? And they're like, no, you're not on the list. And I'm like, wait, what? They said, yeah, you're on the other modern list. I, I, I accidentally signed up for a side event on the next day instead of signing up for the modern main event and still paid for it. And then, and it's so why I couldn't enter the main event that, that same day that nerd girl's talking about. And I ended up having to play in that modern event the next day. And I, I had a, a commander game with Gavin Verhey uh, and veggie wagon um, and other people like planned for like a couple hours after. So I ended up only playing one round of this tournament that I paid for anyway, and then went to go uh, play commander with, with Gavin. So, I guess it worked out, but more of the story, nice. know what you're signing up for and do that. Make sure your name's on the list. Um, was that the EDH game with Yoshi? Yes, it was. Okay, so quick. Sorry, I'm going to do it. I got to do the thing. Don't so, do it. Okay, do Yoshi it. Yoshi bid on Gavin for a charity Extra Life event and got a date with Gavin, and that's how she got Gavin to play in that game with you guys, right? That was their date that she won for the wow. charity auction. I did not know that that's how it started. Mm -hmm. What a cool opportunity. I, I hope there's an opportunity to do it again. So I don't know if you guys know this, but DJ's <laughs> doing another charity auction starting on the 14th of next month. You had to do it. No. <laughs> I had to. It's for it's for a good cause. DJ Gaming is going to okay. raise $50,000 for Extra Life, and you guys could get Gavin Verhey to go play in a game of magic with you. Just saying, he's already agreed. Go follow, go follow team DJ Gaming, Degenerate Gaming on Twitter. 
to look at all the details, whisper, whisper, wink, wink. You should do that. <laughs> um, okay, good. You're not cut. No, no, we're not cutting that out. It's staying in. <laughs> it's, 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 it's staying in af after the edits. Uh, let's go ahead and go towards the actual gameplay. Of, okay, you got there early. You got there on time. You have your water bottle, like Nerd Girl said. You had a Red Bull. You had a, you have a Gatorade. You have a big crumble cookie. You, you're set up. You, you came with your friends. They're playing in their match already. Now you're in the game. What do you do now? Uh, we have a list of things that you should probably keep in mind. Um, show up promptly to your seat. That should be a given. Um, don't get there later. You'll get a game loss. Um, if, if, you, if you don't mind, Nerd Girl, do you, uh, have you memorized the uh, minutes of time it takes for you to get to your seat before you get a game loss and a match loss? It's uh, three minutes for a game loss, ten minutes for a match loss. Yep. Um, and one other thing I would uh, recommend about getting to your seat early, one good benefit to that is actually you get to choose which side of the table you sit on if you show up first. And sitting at the table on the side that looks at the clock can be quite important, especially when you play dumb control decks like Airball. It helps you keep an eye on the time and be mindful of what you have to make sure you're not getting gameplay penalties or just drawing intention uh, unintentional draws too many times. All right, now Airball, you get to retaliate. I don't play dumb control decks. I play smart control decks. <laughs> play smart control decks. I play the biggest brain control decks, the most wrinkles. <laughs> my decks transcend time. Oh my gosh, is that just because you play Teferi? You can't say that. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's probably because you play Teferi. Anyways, you do want to show up to your seat. You don't want to get that game lost. You don't want to get a match lost. And what Nerd Girl said, the, probably the most important thing is being able to get into a seat that looks at the clock. That's just so important. Um, number two, you know, enjoy yourself. Take take only what you need with you yeah you can take your backpack oh i always wrap my backpack one of the arms of the backpack around my leg because there's a lot of a lot of times where um someone can swipe your backpack from behind you if, if, if you're not watching closely enough if you're in the middle of the match and you don't want to get your stuff stolen definitely so i always yeah. wrap it around my leg uh that's a very very good thing you can wrap it around the leg or you can actually put the like foot of your chair in one of them um and oftentimes what I do, I, I'm a little bit more fortunate in that way, is I can actually just put it on the back of the chair, not hanging on the back, but like behind me in my seat. And then I just kind of sit on the edge of the seat. But there is a lot of thieves that will run around and just pick up bags as they walk by. That's actually very common. Yeah, and this is about more than just like traveling light and showing up to your seat light, right? If you have cards for other formats or from other decks in your deck box and your deck box gets taken away for a deck check... Um, you can get a game a game loss penalty for having uh, an invalid deck, or an invalid sideboard, technically. Yeah, you, well, yeah. that's actually really important <clears throat> if you have one of those deck boxes that have multiple deck holders. Mm -hmm. You don't want to have your Pioneer deck in there with your modern deck or something, because a lot of those cards are cross-compatible, and they will give you some, some grief. Yeah, you, you'll need like a really, really nice judge to not get a game loss if you have cards of other formats in a different deck, but still in the same deck box when you're getting a deck check. Um, it's just anxiety inducing. So I just carry the least, least possible, only the relevant tokens that I need and my exact sideboard and my exact main deck in, in that deck box and nothing else. And then I, I, I actually, yeah, go ahead. Quick, quick story. I almost got a game loss to, against uh, Ben Stark for a very similar thing. I was in day two of a Grand Prix and a friend was like, hey, I have to leave. We all scrubbed out and we're driving home. Uh, I have a gift for you. And he gives me a card in a sleeve face down. Like, you know, so you can only see the ma magic back. I'm sitting down. I'm already shuffled up. I'm ready to play. I'm playing against Ben S. So I was like, okay, great. I take it. And I throw it in my deck box and shuffle up and present. Immediately get a, de a deck check. Um, and oh. I'm like, wait a minute. What was that <clears throat> card? And the judges have already taken my box and they've already walked off. And I come back and the, ju the judges come back and they're just like, so you have a deck or you have a card in your deck that's legal in the format that's not in your deck list. This is a problem. And so I was just like, oh, no. Oh, wow. Um, and what had happened was I was 8-0 in day one and then ended up going 8-1 because I died to a card that I shouldn't have. I misread how it worked. And so I let them kill me with this card. So my friend got me a copy of the card and like signed it and doodled on it and stuff and then gave it to me. So thankfully, Ben S backed me up. He's like, yeah, her friend just walked by and gave that to her. And they were like, oh, it's actually even in from a different, like 
a reprint. So it was like an older version of the card. And they were like, okay, you're probably not that stupid to cheat. So we'll give you a pass. But I think if Ben would have been like, yeah, I don't know. I think they probably would have uh, gave me a game loss. Wow. Any, any situation like that happened to you, Airball? Where you had something else in no, your deck I... and someone else came over to bird deck deck or anything? Uh, <clears throat> no, not, not in paper. Um, it did happen to me in an online tournament. Um, back when CFB was running their tournaments not with Melee, back when CFB was running their tournaments not with Melee, th their system was really just ass, right? So I uploaded a deck list once, and then I tweaked it the day before and uploaded it and uh, added like an extra copy of Disdainful Stroke and took something else out of the sideboard. And then I um, showed up the next day, won a game, game one, game one, went to game two and cast a Disdainful Stroke that, you know, broke the opponent's back. And I'm thinking, great, easy 2-0 onto the rest of the tournament. And then I get a message from the judge off screen. He's like, did you just cast a Disdainful Stroke? And I said, yes. And he's like, well, it's not in your deck list. Well, it turns out on the CFB website in order to update your deck it required like this arcane series of clicks that i just didn't go all the way through i guess i didn't oh, wow. like submit at the very last stage um so i ended up playing a card that i shouldn't have and getting a game loss and ultimately losing the match because of it wow yeah i mean that, that's what can happen if you're if you're not like really prepared or if, if you have other other things that you should not have um it just it just I, I get that weird anxiety every time the judge comes over and get and you know is hovering over because right before they give you a deck check they kind of like stand behind you in like a very ominous way. It's like, you know, nothing to see here. It's, yeah. it's like, <laughs> that's a deck check coming. So every time that happens, I'm like, okay, quick, before they actually come over here, let me check my deck and make sure my side, I, I'm unsideboarded from the last match before, make sure there's no extra cards in there because that's like your last time to take your cards out, right? When you see the judges walking over, looming, hovering, and b before you can, um, before you can you know get out of there unscathed with the game loss uh anyways let's go ahead and go over the next one um verify that you have the correct opponent you don't want to have the wrong opponent like you were with me in the pokemon tournament just have the right opponent you won't get game losses uh shuffle your deck present it to your opponent um present companions before presenting your deck only if it's format relevant especially in pioneer where there is yorian still legal and there is gigantha and different companions that you can be playing with if you don't reveal it before you play and shuffle your deck and present your deck, you cannot play with it um, in the game. It has to stay on your sideboard, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so you, you just want to make sure that you do everything that you need to do before the match starts. Decide who goes first. Most people, most people do like a high roll. Some people do odd and even. Some people do low roll and try to do like a middle roll or whatever. Most people just do high roll. Uh, odd even is like a little bit a little bit um, rarer for someone to ask if you want to do odd and evens or flip a coin or something. But odd and even actually, in my opinion, I think is better. It's like less variance because... It's not a matter of variance, right? It's just you can't have a tie. Right, right. well, I guess that's what I meant by saying less variance. You, yeah. can't, you can't have like the variable of tying. Because when, sure. you, when you do high roll and you roll two dice and both of you roll a 12, both of you roll a seven or whatever, you have to roll again and it's just like something that you don't really have to do unless you just say, oh, odd or even, they call odd, you roll a six. Okay, now you get to pick whether you want to go first or second. Um, any, any, yeah, go, go ahead, Nicole. I hate it. You don't, you don't like, what, 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 what do you not like? I don't like odd or even. Why not? I, I have a semi-superstitious thing about magic gameplay, and that's that I like to keep everything the same every time. Now, it's not a superstition, so much as that I think it brings me luck and it's not really a thing where it's like <laughs> I think I'm due I just like knowing that I didn't have a lot of control if I do it the same way every time then I didn't really have control over things going poorly if that makes sense so here's here's a good example of this for a GP for a limited you know you you get to your seats right to build your deck and you can sit down on either side of the table I like to get there late so that way I don't have a choice my opponent got there first they sit down at whatever side they want and then i get my deck my pool right if i got there first and i sat on the other side of the table and they open up the crazy bombs i'm just like man i could have sat there but if i just get there late every time i never i never had the chance so it doesn't matter but now i roll all day and i lose the die roll and then i sit down with you and you say otter even and i'm like okay great so that, <laughs> then i lose that one i'm just like damn if it was high roll maybe i would have gotten it this time wait wait you know that's just okay. not how it works right i just that's just not it that's not how it works but if you keep it the same every time, then it doesn't matter. But, but it never matters, though, right? 
but you keep it the same. That's what I don't want to control it. So like, if I have any say, because because they'll say, is Otter, Otter even okay? So if I say yes, you, you, you just say control over okay, it. If someone asks you that, you literally say no. You no, say I no, say yes Hyrule. because I'm I'm too much of a wimp to say no to somebody. <laughs> Oh, these are the pro strats for playing against Nerd Girl. If you're ever there on day two of a limited GP <laughs> and you see her sit across the table from you, know that you should ask for Otter even. That way you're just tilted on the spot. This is value. That's such that's lose. high value. You always lose Otter Evens? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, I always lose whatever. If I have control over it, I lose. It's fine. So you just want to have no control. I I guess you can put mm -hmm. all, all of your control that you do have in your gameplay. Yeah. When you're not in gameplay, you're like, I don't want to think about it. It's too much brain power. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Did, <laughs> do you, uh, did you do high roll, Airball? Uh, I do high roll. I know Otter even is better, but I, it's just a habit. I, I, I think I just do high roll because, okay, here's, okay, I, I believe that Otter even is better, okay? Just inherently, okay? But here's why I do high roll. Because sometimes you, do, you say Otter even and someone has a massive problem with it, right? They're, they're like, no, high roll. Like me. <laughs> but 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 they'll actually say no 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 I only do high roll high roll two dice that's it and you're like well I mean otter even is like you can't tie and they're like high roll <laughs> I think I like high roll I think for psychological reasons I, I like that high roll is already a competition before the game in a way that otter even just doesn't feel like it is like we're competing to see who gets the higher roll on the dice it feels like the game has already started but, but it is still exactly a competition though you're competing on who can get the otter even correct. Yeah, but like competing over the parity bit in the number is not nearly as intuitive as competing over the higher number. Now, to be fair, I don't actually care which we do. I just always want to do the same one. So whatever is the general consensus of how you do it, that is what I want to do. So I don't actually care if it's high roll or odd or even. I just always want it to be the same. Yeah, you want, you want to go with the flow. But I think you should still do odd or even. Anyways, let's, let's move on. Um... You play methodically and efficiently. You have 50 minutes to play a best of three match. Um, you don't have a chess clock, unlike an arena. If you're coming from arena and you're expecting to have a chess clock, just like it says in arena in a, in a competitive REL event in paper, you know, it, it's not going to happen. Your opponent playing blue light control <clears throat> airball is probably going to take like 40 minutes per turn. And you only have like three minutes to decide your place. I'm exaggerating, but. Um, sometimes your opponents will take longer than others and you'll have to play faster based on that if your opponent's playing slower because you both have the same time clock. Um, do you, I mean, has, have you run into a situation? I mean, I guess I can talk to Airball before MPG Nerd Girl because you probably run into situations, right? Where the time's going down and you're sweating. I used to constantly draw, um, like unintentionally draw when I played Paper Magic to begin with. And it sucked because I was usually in like a dominant board state and I just didn't have enough time to finish. And the opponent didn't scoop like a jerk. And <laughs> so I've learned that I need to like actually put the motor on when I'm in a completely winning position and actually end the game quickly when that's the last thing I want to do. Winning, being in a winning position is fun. I don't want the game to end. Yeah, you want to draw more cards. Oh my gosh, yeah. Nurgle had this biggest eye roll for those of you not watching on YouTube. Okay, if you're listening yeah. to this on the podcast, go to, go to the Nuts and Bolts podcast on YouTube and just watch that eye roll. Make just a the grossest, grossest statement. I'm winning and I don't want the game to end. I want them to suffer. <laughs> uh, now, I will say, for players like Airball, I, competitive REL, a judge event, whatever, I'll call a judge. Get him on slow, slow play. Like, don't let him draw you because he's in the tank for every freaking play. No joke. The first time I saw Airball play a match of Magic, I would have called Judge on him three times for those stupid expressive iterations. They oh were so God. slow. <laughs> Did you take a long time, Airball, on expressive iteration? Be honest. It's, it's a matter of perspective <laughs> and opinion, and I don't really think we should be pointing fingers. Um... I, I think that how you how you cast your expressive iteration is a very personal experience and we shouldn't judge other people <laughs> for how they express themselves. It is, it is an expressive iteration. It, it is, yeah. So you methodically look at the first card and you're like, okay, could get better. We have two more shots at this. Look at the next card, you're like, all right, one more card left. And you look at the last card, and you're like, wait a second. I, I will say that she probably had a point when I pulled out the Ouija board to try to figure out what, <laughs> oh what card I should pick. Um, that, I think, was a bit much, but I've gotten better. Did you, like, high roll say, with them to see which card you were going to pick? Take. Uh, it's like, you know, when people play, like, three-card poker, and they squeeze them out really slow? 
Oh my gosh, yes. Oh, actually, that, that's funny. We should talk about poker sometime, but it, not here. Um, I, I just recently got into poker, and that's pretty cool. But um, yeah, it's like you, you look at the first card, second card, third card. You're like, okay, we have three options here. There's like nine possibilities that could happen. Which one do I do first? I want this card mm. in my hand, or do I want... Do you pick the card in your hand first, or the card in exile first? You have three factorial, right? Like, you have all, you have the three different permutations, because you need to choose which one goes into hand, which one goes into the bottom of the deck, and which one goes into exile. Those are three distinct decisions. Right. I think you make the decision for what's in exile first, because that's the thing you can play that turn, and I think that's the easiest decision to make. I mean, is it the easiest decision, Airball? There are no easy, easy decisions. <laughs> and this is why we're here until time, and that's why I'm going to put a judge over your shoulder if we ever play against each other. It might take him over a minute to resolve expressive iteration, but you, overall, you don't want to do that. You want to you want to maintain a good pace of play to where you don't run out your 50 minutes and have to go into time and play your play out your five turns of time and potentially either draw or lose a match that you could have otherwise won. Uh, you're responsible for your own and only your own triggers. This is a little bit of a, of a hazy situation sometimes where there's triggers that technically happen, but your opponent can just let them go and it still happens, like prowess. Um, there's also, like, there's a ruling in Magic that, is, and it works with, it's this, this ruling with prowess, where if you have a prowess creature on board, say it's a Soulscar Mage, and you cast, you know, lightning, lightning Strike on something else. You don't actually have to declare that your prowess trigger happened until it would become relevant, since it's not it's not a physical counter or a physical notation on the card or board state or life total. To where if you attack your two three now, since it's prowess plus one plus one into your opponent's two two, they think they're going to block your one two um, soul scar mage. But you didn't tell yeah. them that you had the trigger of prowess, so then your after damage goes through, you're like, okay, okay, now that it's relevant my soul scar mage is a two three and it it destroys your two two um yeah you want to make sure that you know very... things that even if your opponent is you know working the rules that way you know yeah the magic rules are very um they give they give the player a lot of benefit of the doubt when it comes to missing triggers a trigger is not considered missed until an action happens that material effect material affects the board state that did not take into account the trigger so if you cast like Crater Hoof Behemoth or something and the, the squad gets uh, a buff and gets trample, then it doesn't, uh, the trigger's not missed until you go to combat, go to damage, and then forget that the, the, the buffs were there. In any situation where like your opponent had a missed trigger, Nerd Girl, or maybe like you did, and you're like, well, I guess I missed it, or, you know, do you, any, any situation like, I mean, you've probably had a missed trigger situation before, right? I mean, all the time. Um, I thought you were about to say never, and I was going to have to disagree with you. <laughs> no. I, uh, I, I miss things all the time, and I don't have, really have any good stories about them. I will say that, like, you can get in trouble for ankle shooting if you um, do something that intentionally tries to get your opponent to miss something. So if you are, like, hiding the prowess in some way, if the judge thinks you are in some way sort of trying to be misleading in their triggers or on your own, then that can be a problem. There was a situation where uh, one of the pros kept letting their opponent miss a trigger and then kept calling a judge to get them in trouble for missing their triggers and not maintaining the board state. Um, and they were actively looking for them to miss those triggers to win the game that way. And so the judge disqualified them from the whole tournament. Um, it's not quite the same thing, but, um, you know, there is... Uh, you know, both it is up to both players to maintain board state. If there's a non-may um, trigger and you let your opponent miss it, oftentimes you can get in trouble for it. They've become a lot more lenient on it than they used to be, but it's possible. Yeah, I actually had a situation happen where I was in top eight of a of an RCQ in a Rakdos midrange mirror match, <clears throat> and I had a Kalidus on board that the replacement, it's a continuous replacement effect to have the creature get exiled and make the 2-2 zombie when the creature gets exiled. If the creature gets exiled, what happened in, in that specific instance was um, something happened where the creature was supposed to die and it just like went to the graveyard. And I, I just missed the fact that it should have been exiled. And then we were like, uh, and it went back to my turn and I drew a card. And um, we were like, okay, well, what happens? And my opponent called a judge. And yeah, that's a special case. You can't miss a trigger that involves a card changing zone. Right, right. So I opponent, so 
I was like, well, maybe the card gets exiled, but you still don't get to make your 2-2. But the judge actually ruled it in my favor, saying that si since it's in the same sentence and that it's a continuous replacement effect, it has to happen, and all of that effect has to happen. So the part where it exiles and makes the 2-2 uh, had to happen, so I actually got my 2-2. And, and the creature got exiled. But that, that's a little bit of a, of a niche situation, but the moral of the story is um, you're responsible for your own triggers. You're not necessarily responsible for your opponent's triggers, but you're both, like Nerd Girl said, responsible for um, both maintaining a a um, correct game state, if you will, right? Yeah, you're, you're not obligated, by the way, just to clarify what Nerd Girl was saying earlier, you're not obligated to point out when your opponent misses a beneficial trigger for them. So, like, if the opponent's ledger shredder connives uh, and they just forget to, um, then you don't have to point that out to them. That that happened to me playing against Arclight Phoenix an awful lot at the Puget Sound tournament. The guy missed like five connive triggers and it probably cost him the game, and I just never pointed it out to him. Yeah, and, and that's actually a situation we haven't covered yet where it might be not where it's beneficial for your opponent to miss it. That's where it that's where you have to call them out on it and either call a judge or say that you missed that. I know there's a lot of things like um let's say like a rotting regosaur, right? That at the beginning of your upkeep, discard a card. That's a, a very big drawback. And your opponent goes to their turn and just immediately goes to combat and attacks and just doesn't discard the card. It's not like, oops, I missed the trigger, right? Um, they actually like have to discard the card and they could be maliciously um, doing that in order to gain an advantage. And at that point, you can call a judge and, um, and have that happen. But anyways, uh, anything else that gets missed that wasn't a trigger, you know, you can you can stop the game. You can call a judge uh, if the judge uh, if you think that a judge is ruling something a little bit hazy. You can always appeal. I, um, it's not as common as in Magic as I've seen as it, as it is in Yu-Gi-Oh. But um, in general, if you still think after you get a judge ruling and it's not the head judge, you should probably appeal. Uh, any any situations for you two that you've had to appeal? <laughs> roll, okay. roll, I mean, high roll. <laughs> no odds are evens. Um, I was uh, it wasn't it wasn't it didn't happen to me, but there was a case recently where there was a modern player, and um, he was playing Tron versus Burn, and he had a Worm Coil engine in play, and the opponent attacked into it, and just as a desperation move, when the Worm Coil engine blocked, uh, he cast Deflecting Palm and tried to redirect the damage uh, from the Worm Coil agent back at their face, which is not how the card um deflecting palm works and anyone who reads the card for five seconds knows that that's not how the card should work um but they called uh they called a judge the tron player called the judge and uh the judge came over and agreed with the burn player and the uh then they just scooped up their cards and, and moved on while spectators went over and said no that's completely the wrong ruling go get the head judge head judge comes over and says hey um obviously that's the wrong that's the wrong ruling but you conceded when you scooped up your cards and walked off, and now we can't reestablish the board state, so I guess you lose. Uh, it was a pretty controversial thing. It was all over Twitter a few weeks ago. Yeah, I remember that. It was uh, very, very bad. It, it actually goes hand-in-hand hand with the fact that a lot of these, um, like, RCQ tournaments and stuff like that, the, they're no longer required to have an officially uh, an official judge. And the person who was the judge who made the ruling was just, like, a store employee with no uh, judge qualifications whatsoever. So that's sort of the uproar is that a lot of competitive REL events don't have judges and they will make bad mistakes like that. Yeah, for the, for the most part, I, I've been in situations where like there's a store worker that's, you know, being a judge. But for, for the most part, there is someone in the store that um, like really knows the ruling. But if that's the actual judge that is appointed and they're the head judge, you have to do what they say. I mean, even if they're wrong, <laughs> you have to do what they say. I've had head judge. I've had a. Uh, I've heard about head judge situations where they've given the wrong ruling, but they ha but the player has to go with it. Um, and then the last thing is the ju the judges are are your friends. They're not there to intimidate you. Uh, they just want to make sure the game is fluid and the game is going how it's supposed to go. And um, they're they're in, like almost they're ambassadors of magic. They are there to make magic a better place. They're to make tournaments a better place. So. Judges are your friends. They're not your enemies. Even, even if I already said that I get anxiety when they walk behind me and they loom over me with a deck check. But that's just because a lot of bad things can happen when you, when you get a deck check. There's a lot of things that we've already went over that can happen. But that's why you want to make sure that you're on top of it. And it, it, whether it's to judges or to other players, you just want to make sure that you're just like, I guess this is like the number one rule, right? Like, just don't be a dick. Right? Like, ex ex expect to deal with them, you know, 
they they'll happen every once in a while. Someone's going to try to angle shoot you. Someone's going to try to uh, make it make it make it seem like your triggers aren't aren't going to work out when you know your triggers are there. Someone's going to try to sell you you can't do that when you know you can. Um, these things are going to happen in competitive REL tournaments in Magic and, and in a lot of other card games. But um, you know, any any situations that you've had with just your opponents that are just being real, pretty scummy. I mean, not just scummy, but there's also the people who like real life emote you like that's a real thing they're just like is it my turn yet is it my turn yet and then they're turning you're go you're go you're go they there are people who do that i definitely got super tilted against one, one of my very first uh grand priests that happened to me i was playing for top eight and they they got to me it was my first event and i didn't know what to do when they were being kind of a jerk and it was very stressful and yeah they they, they really do exist I actually had someone emote me yesterday on Arena, and if that was a real life person, oh, I would have been upset. I, I I ended up taking the high road and emoting them back, and as I was winning the game, stalled out the game a little bit. But that's that's not taking the high road. Don't do that. But I did that. Um, but these people these people exist, and they want to get under your skin. But just don't let them, don't let them get under your skin. And if you if you're not a dick back to them, hopefully it teaches them a lesson to not be a dick in the future. But you know, don't make other people feel uncomfortable. Don't be a dick. Don't, you know, try to purposely manipulate game states and things like that. Just just don't do that. Just, just you're there to have fun. You're there to, to have fun in a tournament. And maybe you do good. Maybe you don't. Maybe you get unlucky. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you run super hot like the sun and you win a lot. You know, just don't, don't um, bring negative energy to a magic tournament, right? Um, let's see. Next up is in between your rounds. Find your headspace, ground yourself. The tournament days are long, and we're going to talk. We'll talk a little bit about tilt here. Like if you just lost and you're in between a match, and you go over to your friends and you're like, "Oh my gosh, you won't believe what happened." You will not believe what happened. I had a Teferi Hero of Dominaria on board, and my opponent had a Narset. I could not draw cards. I my I had a sweeper. My opponent countered it. How can my opponent counter my sweeper? You know, there's a, there's like different things that could happen in Magic games, and you want to make sure that you are not like over tilting off the face of the earth and that you go to your next match uh, with a clear headspace. I mean, that definitely makes sense. That's true for poker and everything else as well. Um, sometimes telling your bad beat story to your friends, if they're good friends and willing to hear it, that actually kind of helps having someone sort of to commiserate with you. Mm -hmm. If that's what helps, then then great. If you need to not think about it and move on, that's true. But yeah, being tilted is never a good thing. I mean, any situation happen with you, Airball? Oh, I'm very bad about this. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll tilt off, like, for most of the day if I have a bad <laughs> game. Or, like, and it's, it's not, like, I'll, I don't usually tell bad beat stories. I usually tell the opposite, I think. Like, I usually torment myself thinking, how could I have played around what they did? Oh, if I had done this six turns earlier, it would have been differently, and I should have seen that coming. And I'm such an idiot for not thinking about it, and I'll just spiral um thinking about that for the rest of the day um and i know it makes me unpleasant to be around uh, when that happens and i'm trying to work on it but honestly i don't have the answers for that i i'm just working on it that's why if i, if I didn't bring you into the conversation right now you would just like slid right past the, right past this topic you just like you don't want to talk about it <laughs> well i mean yeah no i mean you guys have both been around me when i saw some shit <laughs> most fun thing in the world I mean, uh, talk about the the good things then. Like when you when you go to your friends when when like you just won the match, like that's when you're more talkative, I guess. Like I guess talk about that. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's for me. I think I take it probably a little too seriously. Um, if I win, I feel like I'm on top of the world, and I you know tell everyone about it. And oh, I did every I I played so well, and I did all, <laughs> I did all this right X Y and Z, and you know look at me. And I will still point out the things I did wrong as well. I'll be like, yeah, I, I fucked this up and I fucked this up and I fucked this up, but it didn't matter. I win. Everything's great in Sunshine and Daisies. Um, <laughs> like, wow, I had this such an amazing play. Totally outplayed them. They were so far ahead in the game and I came back. You wouldn't believe it, but I also messed up and moved on top. But it didn't matter because I yeah, am the best how player. How did they get so far ahead in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> they, shouldn't, they shouldn't have even been, been in that spot anyways, but I got out of it. Right. Look how smart I am. No. But um, when, when you're in between the matches, I usually try to, you know, if I don't already have a drink, go get a drink, you know, go to the, make, make sure I always, you know, go to the restroom and uh, just get ready for the next match. Usually it's just like chilling out, talking to my friends. Um, tournament dates are super long. I mean, as Nerd Girl said already, like 
lips get chapped, man. Lips get chapped. Um, hydrate, use the restroom, socialize, be with your friends. Um, ask them how their matches went. Like if you just lost something that, so that really helps me if I just lost it to go over to someone that I, one of my friends that like won. So I, I just like let them talk to me about how they won. And it kind of like makes me feel better and gets re get ready for the, the next match. Um, you want to, you want to like use the time wisely, get ready for your next matches. Like don't dwell on your losses, airball. Um, <laughs> um, and dwell and dwell on your mistakes. But, uh, over time, I think you will start to learn, especially if you play the same deck for a while, like what your mistakes are and you'll just go get them in the next tournament. You know, um, how many, how many times do you have like a couple tournaments lined up where you're like, or maybe, maybe it's even a local at, at your local game store on Friday night where you're just like, okay, I know that I made that mistake. It sucks, but. Uh, I'm just going to do not do that next week. Yeah, I'm, I make a lot of mistakes, certainly. 